Thanks, Molly. Thank you, Catherine, and thank you to our, our worship team for just leading us in worship, which has been wonderful to be able to continue to do that in this time. Um, I, it's one of the things I really miss when it's not present, uh, like when you go on a holiday or you, you miss a week at church, uh, just being able to come and, and worship together, uh, read God's word together. It's something that you miss, so it's been wonderful to do this, even as we're isolated. Now, we've been looking at a, a series uh, really opening up the book of James. been looking at this series which we've titled Living the Faith because the book of James is just so practical. It's down to earth, it's honest, it's the stuff of everyday life. And um, as we've been looking at these, these verses week by week, I'm reminded again and again just how, how relevant God's word is to our everyday life. And, and so, is, uh, so is this true in our, in our reading today as we open up from James 5. And today I've titled the theme Wealth Warning. Now, bit of a play, of course. At the moment we have had our share of health warnings um, in the midst of the COVID-19 situation. And as a nation, uh, we've responded well, I would say. On the whole, on the whole, we've heeded these warnings that have been put in place. Uh, they've been put in place, of course, to care uh, to help us to care, to protect those that are most vulnerable in, in our society. And, and on the most part, we, we have listened and we have acted because we have cared for those around us and for ourselves. In this portion of scripture, James in, is passing on some stern warnings of more greater importance than our physical health, but in regards to our spiritual health. And in the same fashion, I would hope that we will heed his advice for the good of those around us and for the sake of ourselves. When I was young, uh, it was a bit of a, a trend for, for friends and, and people I, I knew to, to go on these adventures in the aqueducts uh, in, and the waterways uh, in Dandenong. If you don't know of them, they're they spread for, for miles and there are above water creeks, there's marshland, but there are also some concrete man-made aqueducts and some very large drains and, and pipes that, that stretch for, for, for miles. And they're, they're so large that it, it was a trend to go and to explore them. And it was also very, very popular uh, with skateboarders because of the sealed concrete. So when they were dry, people would often go and explore them. However, all along, along the waterways, there were signs of warning. Do not go in here. Danger. Look out for risk. There were, there were all these warnings all along these waterways. And although they were there, many people still went and played in them. You see, there was a great risk. There was a risk that if rain fell nearby, that water would build and silently and unexpectedly would come and fill up and flood these waterways once more. And in my own teenage years, I remember a number of incidences where, where young people who were, were exploring in these waterways were actually drowned and killed. You see, the, the water that came had no respect for those who might be deep within them, washing them away. You see, these warnings given about the dangers of these waterways served a twofold purpose. Firstly, 
It was a warning for anyone in the waterways. Get out. You are in danger. The water is coming. But these warnings were also an encouragement for those not in them, of course, to stay out. Don't go there. Stay away. There is danger here. And in a similar fashion, as we read this passage, as we look at this portion of scripture in James, it seems that there's one audience in mind, but there is actually a twofold audience. And so I want you to read with me. We're going to read from James 5, verses 1 to 6. Now these are some strong words, and it's been said probably some of the strongest that James gives in his letter. And that says a lot, for James is not too subtle. He is quite strong throughout. But in particular in this portion of scripture, he does not hold back any punches. We read this. Now, listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day, in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Do you see what I mean? These are strong words. And he starts by addressing, look here, you rich people. But I also want to say, at the risk of you reading that and saying, wait, I'm not rich. You should see the bills accumulating at home. I'm struggling to pay my bills. These words are not only for the rich, but for those not yet rich, for those desiring to be. James has spoken to and about the rich uh, already in many times throughout the book of James. He he mentions that the rich were favoured in this context and in this community. He encourages that the rich should actually boast not in, in their wealth, but in their humility, for their wealth will fade away. He mentions that it's also the rich who would drag the believers into court. It was the rich who would slander Jesus. And just, just recently he spoke about businessmen who were travelling and planning for profit with pride. I will go here and I will do such things. It seems that in this community that James is speaking to, there were many people, powerful and wealthy people, living a life that did not please Jesus. And so James continues to level some honest accusations against this group of people, which serves as an encouragement to those who might be desiring the same lot in life. And so what we find is a condemnation for the rich and powerful and an encouragement to the not yet rich. And so the words that are shared here are for us all. And we see this firstly. And we're going to unwrap this in two, in, in two parts. 
And in each of the parts is a, is a very strong condemnation or accusation. And then insinuated within that are some encouragements for us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is a perfect example as we read James. A, a, a reminder that we read every passage in scripture within the whole of scripture. And so we'll be unpacking that as well today. And so the first accusation, the first honest truth is this. James says, you hoard wealth and pursue a self-indulgent lifestyle. As you read from verses 1 to 6, you see this, this pattern. You see this accusation, you see this, this contrast, and this pattern of, of two ideas. First, the way that they're living their life, but what's actually going on in the midst of that. And firstly, we see this, you hoard wealth in verse 3. And in verse 5, he says, you spend your years in luxury, satisfying your every desire. And this idea of luxury translates to extravagant comfort, this idea of stressing the softness of luxury. I love that phrase, the softness of luxury. There's this contrast. You see, there's something on the surface, but yet there's this deeper spiritual reality that James unpacks. And on the surface, we see a group of people wealthy. Life is good. The good things in life are beautiful and sought after. And wealth being a symbol of status and and, and a symbol of, of power. Wealth also something that's sought after and secretly desired. I mean, who hasn't dreamed, who hasn't had a daydream of winning the lottery? Let's be honest. Be it just sitting there going for a long drive or sitting there and wondering, if only I had won that million dollars or that two million dollars, well, life would just be so much better. All my, all my problems would just fade away. We can't help but dream like that, can we? If, if we're honest, we're drawn to this idea of, of being wealthy. Because it's such a part of our culture and society. It's the dream of most people to be able to buy or to own anything that they desire and to live life without restriction. I mean, that just seems like a dream. It seems like the American dream, as we might call it. We don't look down on those who are wealthy. No, generally we look at those who are rich and we think they've made it. We admire them. We wish we could be them. We wish we could be like them and they're often admired as success stories in our world. And so there's this outward surface that's being portrayed here. But James speaks and looks at the spiritual reality. He goes beyond, behind or beyond the surface. In verse 1 he says, Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Which is very interesting because clothes aren't made to be food for a moth and silver and rust don't corrode. They, they don't actually rust as, as pure metals. And so the idea here is the idea that these people and for us the encouragement not to lay our wealth aside for no purpose beyond just for ourselves. For clothes are to be worn And money is not to be stowed away or neglected, but to be used. 
So this wealth that has been hoarded for the good life, as we might call it, the very wealth that gives us status and power in this world, is the power, is the wealth, sorry, here that is paraded. The very wealth that we, that the world might look upon um, as being successful, something that is desired, in a spiritual sense, here is shared as a testimony against you or us. This very wealth that is paraded will stand as evidence before God in the next life. James says some strong words, you have fattened yourself with luxury and good things. And the image, in reality, you have fattened yourself like an animal for the slaughter. And it will not go well with you, says James. What a challenge. But it is a reminder for us, for for followers of Jesus Christ, who love him and set our eyes to live for him, it's a reminder to set our eyes on eternity. In Matthew 6.24 we read, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, for you cannot serve both God and money. You see, we're reminded that the desires of this world, they have the potential to take our eyes off Jesus. It has the potential for us to place other things in priority, in the place of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives this warning time and time again when he was on this earth, as we read throughout the New Testament. And James reminds us, he goes even further, that we will also stand before God and give account of our lives. We will come before God and give account of how we have used the life he has given us and the resources that he has blessed us with. This is an encouragement to set our eyes on eternal things, not on things that are just here for the moment. It's our encouragement in the midst of this. As we read in 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So therefore, set your eyes on eternity. Set your eyes on things that go beyond this life. Set your eyes on God's eternal plan, not on wealth, not on the pleasures of this earth in these last times. In these last times refers to the days in which Jesus has called his disciples and followers to spread the good news. In this time where we're called to spread the love of Jesus, not just to live lives for our own pleasure. So set your eyes on God's eternal plan, not just on this world. Use what you have. Be generous for the kingdom of God. Not simply to hoard for moths and for decay, but to use your resources for the kingdom of God and to advance his work. These are challenging words. 
And at the end of each of these parts, I have a couple of response and reflect, uh, reflective questions. In response to this, the, some questions we can ask ourselves and be honest. Pause and be honest. Take a look at your heart. The first is, am I living a life in response to God's gift of grace with love and with generosity? Or do I simply continue to pursue the patterns and the desires of this world? Have I let God's love transform me? (laughs) To lead me and guide me in all things? Does it lead me to be generous to those around me or am I (laughs) tight-fisted? Do I pursue a life simply for myself? The second idea that we can unpack here, these strong words again, as James says, is you defraud workers and you oppress the innocent. You oppress the righteous. You see, James continues to paint the picture. These wealthy persons were were rich landowners. And they had much power and sway in their communities. And we find here, we unpack and see that they did more than simply hoard wealth. They had become wealthy by cheating and stealing because of the power that they held. They were dishonest. They used their power against the poor and against the powerless. They cheated their workers of their well-deserved pay. And so in a sense, James is not condemning wealth itself so much as the means to which these wealthy persons obtained it. In context, workers in this day and age receive their pay at the end of the day. So I'm not sure how you receive your pay at the the moment. It's usually uh, fortnightly, it might be monthly or weekly. But I know at the end of the day I don't line up and put my hand out and, and, and give, be given the funds that I've earned for that very day. Yet it was, a, a, it was common in that time, especially for those working like the harvesters in the fields, they would be paid day by day for the very work that they had done in that day and in that moment. And so at the end of the day they would come, they, they would line up and, and they would be given what was proportioned to them for the work that they have done. Yet these landowners were not paying And so the workers would come, they would put in their hard work, their hard labour, and they would come but they would not get their pay and they would go home empty-handed, not able to feed their families, not able to pay their bills and, and they would wake up the next morning, they would come to work hoping that maybe this day, maybe this day I will be paid for the work that I put in and they would work the day. Again they would come to the end of the day and they would come to be paid but they were not paid. And literally, literally leading to starvation as they weren't able to come home and to put food on the table for their families. Which leads to the statement in verse 6, that they, being the wealthy, have killed innocent people. Their very actions have led to the deaths of those in which and on whom they cheat. And people who do not resist or who cannot resist, who do not have the power to resist. For it seems the wealthy carry power and control 
over the poor. And so the challenge here, of course, is against those who are oppressing and abusing the powerless. But there's this beautiful, hopeful statement for we read, but God has heard their cries. We read the cries of the field workers have reached the ears of the Lord of the heavens armies. And what a phrase, the Lord of the heavens armies. Why this phrase? This is a way of saying the cries have reached our God, our defender, the one who will fight for the powerless, the strong and the mighty one, the one who will protect us, those of us who have been cheated. And again, in the midst of this, we find this encouragement and this challenge. First, that God hears the cries of the powerless. And in this, in this current climate, of course, you would have seen uh, the news uh, with the, the protests going on worldwide, which was sparked by the unjust treatment of George Floyd. And this also, it was a last straw for the pattern of violence and inequality amongst the black community came and rose to the surface again. And our whole world has cried out and said, this is unjust, this is not right. And here in Australia, it has reminded us of our tragic past, a past that most of us are not proud of. It reminds us of the continued inequality Uh, amongst the Aboriginal communities in our country. And so it's an opportunity for us as Christians to affirm that all lives matter, that we are all created in the image of God and loved by him. No matter the colour of our skin or the location of the soil that we were born on, we are all equal in the eyes of God. So it is good in this time to stand for this Injustice. It is good to speak on behalf of those who have had no voice. So I encourage you to keep doing so. I've spoken to many people and, and received emails about this from many different uh, parts of this argument. But this is our opportunity to speak up for those who do not have a voice, to see justice done. But what is interesting in the midst of of this passage is that God hears the cries of the mistreated and the abused. He hears the cries for those who go unseen. He hears the cries of those who are unheard. There are many in our world who do not have anybody else to call out for them or to defend them. There are many being mistreated. There are many that we are unaware of and yet we find hope in these words because we know that God hears the cries of those who cry out and the unjust who hurt them, the unjust who betray them will answer before God in this life or the next for God is our defender. We also are encouraged For God understands the plight of the exploited. There's a subtle little reference here. And many commentators argue and 
dispute this in some form, but most agree that this, there's this reference to the innocent people or the righteous ones, and in its actual context it is the righteous one. And who could be more righteous than Jesus Christ, who came, who lived a perfect life and yet was mistreated, Illegally condemned by whom? The rich and the powerful of his day. Who was sold and betrayed for one man's financial gain. Judas betrayed Jesus for wealth, for 30 silver coins. 30 silver coins to betray the very Son of God. And as we're reminded of his life, We are reminded that Jesus understands the plight of those who have been exploited. He has walked, he understands. And so we can find hope and comfort in this. If you find yourself in that place and in our day and age, many people suffer abuse silently for many reasons. Some not as public as others. Abuse in the home, mistreatment from from mum or dad, partners abusing one another, domestic violence. Many of these things go unspoken, unheard. But if you find yourself in a position of powerlessness and of abuse, know this, that God knows your situation and he understands. And God is your defender. Justice will come. Continue. In the midst of this is an encouragement to value others as Jesus does. To value others the way that Jesus does. In the New Testament we saw this, we see this unfleshed. We, We see the way that people carried this out. In 1 Timothy 6.17, we read, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, here's the contrast. Don't be like these wealthy people that that hoard wealth for their own self-indulgent lifestyles. But if God has blessed you with it, don't feel guilt for the wealth that you have. Be generous with it. There are some people who can just make money. I I have a friend. I don't know how he does it. Anything he does just generates money. It's just this gift that he has. And there are those in our communities who are blessed, who are gifted with this ability to be businessmen, to, to, to make money honestly, of course. So the encouragement here is not to feel guilty for that, but to use it for the kingdom of God. To use what you have with generosity. 
to sow it into the kingdom of God, to build your wealth not here, but to store it up in heaven. We see in Luke 12.33 also, Sell your possessions and give to the poor, said Jesus. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Remember we looked at moth. James mentions the moths that, that, that destroy the clothes. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, says Jesus. So you see the encouragement. Value others as Jesus does and the, the defining passage in this comes from Philippians 2.3. I wonder what the world would look like if we simply put these words into practice, if we were to heed the advice of Paul in this letter to the Philippian church. I believe our world would be a vastly different place. In Philippians 2.3 he writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, certain, a servant. Sorry, Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look at the value that Jesus places on every person. We're encouraged to follow his example, to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interests of of others. Think about it. If we were to live this out, we wouldn't lie. We wouldn't cheat one another. We wouldn't lie to one another for our own gain. We wouldn't abuse one another. We wouldn't judge each other harshly or rashly. Colour wouldn't matter. Status wouldn't matter. Gender would not matter. We would simply love each other the way that God calls us to. Such a simple truth that could change the world. So the question, the reflection for ourselves in the midst of this, is do I use people for my own selfish gain? Not necessarily before wealthy, but do I use people for my own desires to get what I want in life? Do I actually care for people or do I simply use them for my own advantage? Or do I love people the way that Jesus exemplified? For their benefit, not for my own. Seeking their interest, not just my own. My prayer today as you go is that you may go loving people the way Jesus has called us to. And we say that so often, don't we? But in the midst of this, I pray that you can go and really love them without judgment. Caring for people above your own, above your own cares, above your own needs. 
loving the way, loving them the way that Jesus has called us to. I know it is so easy in our world to be distracted by all that it has to offer. (laughs) But it does not satisfy. I pray that as we go that we can lift our eyes above the things of this world. We can refocus our eyes on eternal things, on things that truly matter. And that our eyes will be focused in this world on the people around us who need love and care. Love and care the way that Jesus would love and care, in the way that he would care. I want to pray for us now. Father, we thank you for these words and these are strong words and they challenge us. They convict us. And so we come before you, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness when we have chased, we have prioritised the things of this world, Lord, above yourself. Lord, help us to focus our eyes on you Lord, help us to to live a life in response to your amazing grace, Father. Help us to live lives of generosity, using all that you have given us to bless those around us. Father, help us to love people the way that you have called us to, the way you have shown us to. We pray that your Holy Spirit may fill us and give us the ability, Father, to put others first, to live lives of of love, of kindness. And we thank you, Lord, in all of this, Father, that you are just, that you hear the cries of the powerless, Father, and that your justice will come in this life or in the next. In the meantime, may we be your voice. May we be your hands in our world, Father. We thank you that you go with us and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people say, Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team as we close in worship. Otherwise, I also encourage you to join the foyer. I'll be there. Come say hello. It would be great just to touch base with you at the end of this service. Thank you. God bless. We just wanted to share one more song with you. It's a very old hymn. Um, I hope you know it, and if not, um, enjoy the words. It's just a, a simple reminder of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and that we have been purchased with a great price, that everything belongs to him first, that all that we are and all that we have has been paid and bought for with a high price of his death and resurrection. And uh, I just hope that that um, is an encouragement.